Hi, my name is Alex Austin. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Branch. You're listening to the App Guy podcast. The App Guy podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host. Uh, this is Paul Kemp. So uh, today I've got a, a fascinating chat with a founder who is reinventing the way that we can monetize our apps. It's it's unbelievable what we can do uh, with regards to data. We're going to be investigating alternatives to putting those frustrating ads on our apps and getting a little monetization. Uh, we've got an alternative to go through. It's gonna be a wonderful uh, talk. Please do stay tuned. Uh, let me introduce then today's guest. Uh, today I'm speaking with uh, Christian Rufert and he is the uh, founder and CEO of uh, Terragents and, and, and they are providing alternatives to us putting ads on our apps and we're gonna find out more. So Christian, welcome to the App Guide podcast. Thank you, Paul. Glad to be here. Let's just go straight in. So the big challenge that uh, many of my audience uh, apps to tribe find is that they just can't monetize the ads that they're putting on their apps. And you've got an alternative to give, give us the kind of uh, elevator pitch on what it is you're offering. Yes. Um, so what we do is we have created an SDK. In that sense, we're not very different uh, from traditional ad models. An SDK that we embed in existing apps and the SDK basically sits in the background and takes uh, network measurements so of the mobile network, the 3G or the 4G network, whatever it is, takes those at regular time intervals and collects that data and sends it back to us. We monetize that information uh, with the mobile operators. But the key value proposition for our app partners is that embed a very simple to deploy SDK that contrary to, to traditional mobile advertising does not interfere with the user experience, does not uh, drain your battery and your bandwidth, but does generate revenue for you. Yeah, so let's flesh out this in, in more detail then, because it's a fascinating idea and what well, I mean, first of all, why do you think that uh, the kind of traditional ad networks are not working when you put them on uh, apps? Well, I think there's a number of, of significant hurdles that you have to overcome when you work with, a, with an ad network. So the first of all is the SDK and its integration. You know, integrating an ad SDK into your app is, is quite a long-winded and complicated uh, process. So that's that's the first kind of resource drain that it imposes. Then secondly, uh, what we see is that to understand the economics of that uh, SDK deployment, there's actually you know a vast amount of spreadsheets and modeling that you have to do in terms of number of exposures, numbers of click-throughs and all that. So the economics of it under normal circumstances, are actually quite projective and, and uncertain. Um, add to that that um, you know the ability for the ad network then to get the uh, the advert adverts that work for you is sometimes limited. So we've all seen people coming with big promises and and low deliveries. So that's that's the this, the next disappointment. And finally. Um, ad blockers, right? Uh, today, more than 30% of uh, traffic gets uh, blocked uh, and actually doesn't generate any revenue. 
And then the final point is when the ad gets through, it often creates the distraction and the customer disengagement that you do not want. So there's all kinds of issues around mobile advertising that basically make it a very uncertain and not so nice uh, value proposition. And that's why we looked at some alternatives. Yes, and also, uh, would you find that many of the ad networks, uh, they control whether you get paid or not? And we've seen uh, as big as YouTube, for example, with its creators, just changing the rules continuously and changing how much they pay out uh, and actually just then deciding not to pay because you've broken some new rule that's been in, put in place. <laughs> Yes, well, I wasn't actually aware of that, but I can I can absolutely imagine it. I mean, with the traditional ad networks, if you are uh, a medium to small size app or, or, or content provider, you basically have to take what you are given by the big boys. And if they choose not to give anything, then that's your loss. Um, because we are also, you know, we don't pretend to be big and huge, but we we are honest brokers. So we can guarantee those payments uh, much easier than the big boys are. And it's not in our interest to change the rules halfway down the line. Yeah, and also on the flip side of that, we know that there's these click flams that exist in Indonesia, the Philippines and elsewhere, uh, where the advertisers are getting ripped off as well because they're not getting genuine uh, clicks. And so the, both sides, I guess, there are challenges um, to the whole existing model. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so then let's try and understand a bit more then, because it is a fascinating, it's the first time I've heard of such an interesting way to monetize your app. Um, why, you had a really good point in why we should think about our devices different from perhaps a traditional TV. Uh, you know, it's still a screen, we still consume content through uh, the screen but why do we need to consume typical ads you know you had a really good explanation of what we're actually carrying around with us and, and why we can you know find these alternative ways of monetizing yes um so the first thing to to think about is that actually i don't come from the world of content right I, my, my background is in telecoms um but when, when we started to think about this and, and about our business model, it dawned on me that the model of mobile advertising today is actually still only a strange evolution of mutation of something that started in the 50s. And let me explain what I mean by that. In the 40s and 50s, televisions became... Uh, a semi-ubiquitous uh, consumer device. You know, every every room had a television, and that that television was essentially a screen that was able to produce audiovisual content that people wanted to consume. But at the same time, um, you know, people didn't really didn't really not want to pay for that audiovisual content. So people found other ways to monetize that content, which was to insert other content, which was called adverts, right? And so you had the typical American televisions phenomenon of the soap operas and every 15 or 20 minutes, you know, two or three ads were inserted um, and that paid for your consumption of your content free of charge. And it struck me that what we're seeing now is that people are seeing smartphones and are saying, hey, a smartphone is a device with a screen, ergo, the traditional screen monetization mechanism of advertising should work on a phone. 
So if people want to consume content on a phone, which has a screen, therefore is like a television, we will do ads like we do on a television. We will position them differently, not on the entire screen. We'll put them on corners or on sidebars, but essentially it's the same idea. This is an audiovisual device. People want to consume audiovisual content. Therefore, I'm going to insert other audiovisual content uh, to pay for that, which is actually just the evolution of the 1950s mobile ad, uh, 1950s TV advertising model. But a phone is not a TV, right? A phone is a supercomputer that happens to have a screen. It's a supercomputer that's charged with every kind of sensor imaginable, right? You could launch an Apollo 16 rocket off your uh, smartphone. So the monetization mechanisms of the 50s of, of TV advertising is just, you know, just that. It's, some, it's an old relic. There's actually all kinds of other things that we can do with that phone that pay for people's uh, audiovisual consumption. And that's essentially what we do. What we say is we use the phone as a measurement device for network connectivity, and that enables the app guys to make money, and that enables the consumers to consume the audiovisual content uh, free of charge or at a low charge. And that is a, a true evolution of the business model, leveraging the new capabilities of a phone, not just as an audiovisual screen, but as a supercomputer charged with sensors that can be monetized in all kinds of ways that are actually not customer intrusive. Yeah, let me just take this opportunity to summarize then the way I understand it, because it is so revolutionary what you're suggesting it is that uh, because we carry around these supercomputers in our pocket, uh, they have the ability to collect data. Uh, initially, you're doing telecoms and uh, they can maybe judge the strength of the signal and all this other data that's wonderful for the telecoms. You can aggregate that data up and present it and sell it to the telecoms who, who want to pay for that data. And then you're rewarding the app developers uh, by giving them a percentage of the return that you make uh, for, for displaying. Yeah, that it, it absolutely so wonderful. And I'm almost like surprised it hasn't been done before, but uh, it, it's certainly the first time I've heard of it. Um, why um, did you only choose uh, telcos? Is that the only thing you focus on right now? Uh, no. So as, as with all startup businesses, you start with the area that you more or less know. So um, I have lived my, my life before becoming an entrepreneur as a corporate warrior in the telco sector. So that's, that's where I saw the business opportunity. But as we think about this, we believe that there are other domains where uh, we can apply the same logic of background measurement that is at scale, but at the same time also privacy respecting. Um, areas that we are currently exploring are things like weather and weather prediction. So for example, your phone has a very, very sensitive barometer in there. Um, so we could track the movement of a low or a high pressure system uh, almost on a meter by meter basis if we have enough measurement points uh, in, in our phones. So weather is one that we're looking at. Um, we think that in the near future, things like pollution and air quality will become possible. Uh, and another use case that we're looking at is quite niche, but quite interesting, is around potholes. Um, so, you know, a phone has very sensitive movement sensors. And if enough people go by a certain location 
and uh, their phone makes a sudden juddery, no uh, juddery movement, you know there's a pothole in that street and somebody has an interest in knowing where the potholes are so they can keep um, uh, the, the public happy. So those are some of the other use cases that we're looking at. So road conditions, weather, uh, pollution. I mean, the reason I'm loving this is that I recently uh, read a book called, uh, it's by the um, founder of Wired, uh, Kevin Kelly, and it's called Inevitable. Uh, a fascinating read, but the uh, big theme that he's talking about is the the evolution of devices and the fact that they have more sensors uh, being attached to them. And it's the ability to extract the data from these uh, ever-growing devices and ever-growing sensors and then presenting that as viable data to then those authorities or companies that are, are desperately wanting that type of data and yes and so, I, would, I would add yeah. to that would add to that that um, it's not even the technical so the technical capabilities of sensors is well known and we can sensors for pretty much anything the problem that you still have with sensors is that you need to distribute them. You need to get them to a wide enough blanket of measurement points. And you can do that traditional way by sticking them in to whatever device that you're selling, fridges or microwaves or cars. But all these things have very, very long replacement cycles. So if you want to deploy a network of sensors, say in fridges or in microwaves, that's a 10-year deployment cycle. Handsets have a... 12 to 18 months refresh cycle. So within 12 to 18 months, you can deploy any new generation sensor to a very, very wide footprint. And then if you deploy our mechanism of collecting that information in a way that is large scale and privacy respecting, and then extract valuable information on there, you're entering in a whole new world of, of, of how, how you understand the world. Yeah, and, and this is why I love the, my show, The App Guide Podcast, because we can almost foresee the future. And what I've just gleaned from you in uh, having this chat is that in, in, uh, in the old world, uh, governments, uh, local authorities and state governments in the US, they would have to get data by uh, almost uh, paying, uh, you know, typically students who would go out and monitor traffic, look for potholes, uh, look for you know various things and, and, and report back. And that would be a survey that the uh, governments would pay for. Um, but now, you know, they, they have the potential of just buying the data uh, from yourselves. And uh, the, the data has been then uh, taken from the population of uh, smartphone users. Yes, exactly. And I would also stress that it's not only the governments and, and the big entities, the big corporate entities that uh, have an interest in this. Um, for example, um, one of the use cases that we are investigating at the moment is around, we can now detect network outages in mobile operators. So not only can we grade the mobile operators in function of the quality of their coverage, and the quality of their connectivity once you are in coverage, we can also say in this given area, there were 15 outages and they lasted 20 minutes in total, which is an information piece that the big corporates have always tried to hold on to because it was their big dirty secrets. And we bust that open and give that to consumers to enable them both to have a better choice and a better informed decision on, on their purchasing, but also to, to make the information available and to go 
to their big service providers and saying, what you're delivering to us is not fit for purpose. Here are the data points. So it is both creating data to enable big businesses, but also to hold big business and big organization to account by busting open information that they have very, very jealously guarded before. So that's yeah, part of in fact, my past episode, we were talking about artificial intelligence, uh, episode 500 with the co-founder of Skype. And with the evolution of artificial intelligence is the need for data. And what I'm also learning from you is the fact that you've just found a way of making data valuable to each individual who then carries around uh, a, de a device, an app that perhaps has your SDK, uh, because you know at the end of the day, uh, they're getting content for free and uh, they then are extracting a value for the data that they're collecting through their device. It's just remarkable. Exactly. Exactly. Think of it as, you know, by sweeping in front of your door, you have the right to, to you know, sorry, the analogy is kind of breaking down here, but it's exactly that. You provide a service in the background without any effort from your phone that is monetizable for society and for business and in exchange you get the services that you need i.e your content consumption it's it's exactly that and i think as as we go further on we'll we'll see a number of 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 uh, changes and mutations in that business model and it is uh, truly very interesting you know for example if we apply start to apply artificial intelligence um, whereas now we can retrospectively see how many outages there were and how long they lasted and which locations they impacted we will very shortly be able to predict where the outages will occur and how long they are likely to last because that's just pattern recognition in the data that we collect yes and i guess one of the big challenges then you have uh, right now is getting the uh, apps getting onto these apps and getting the collection of data going it, uh, maybe we can talk through that and the sorts of uh, app developers that you're looking to reach out for uh, who, who you'd like to you know help out with and, and put on put this SDK into the apps yeah so our sweet spots um, are essentially um, app developers that have a good uh, Android estate um, iOS is part of our roadmap, but it's not in our offering today. So first of all, you need to have a good uh, Android estate. Uh, second uh, parameter is that we look for small to mid-range apps, right? Um, we look for a few 10,000 to a few 100,000 uh, users or installs in a country like the UK. We do not look for people who have millions. Um, so we look for mid-range apps um, and thirdly is it's very helpful if the app already has a location tracking component in there so outdoor activity apps uh, geosocial networking uh, navigation location-based games are are really our sweet spot and in that area not the big boys but the mid-range boys uh, is what we look for you know, and that's music to my ears, especially because, you know, that's the uh, part of the uh, maybe App Store ecosystem that's getting most squeezed, uh, you know, with the domination of the big companies like Facebook just dominating the top of the app charts and uh, Google and uh, Apple with its own apps. I mean, uh, it's nice to know that the mid-size apps uh, do have this alternative um, 
mechanism. Uh, and, and, you know, just two final things then before we say goodbye to you, Christian, uh, and it's a kind of switching gears slightly. This is also a show that is to inspire uh, app entrepreneurs. And it, you've made a successful switch from uh, a corporate, uh, high-profile corporate job to life as an entrepreneur. I wondered if you could take us back to that point where you did uh, kind of make that decision and and give us some helpful tips on things that you learned that you would perhaps change in the way you did the switch from corporate to entrepreneurial lifestyle. No, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm a, in a position to give tips, but I can share my experience. And I think, um, I think a lot of us live in a, you know, who live the corporate life will have a level of dissatisfaction that we have with the life that we live. Um, you know, our bosses, democ- uh, not democracy, <laughs> the politics of the workplace, um, the, the the bureaucracy. Uh, you know, the, you know, we get squeezed into a corner, and that, that frustrates us. The flip side of that, and this is really important to understand, I guess, is you do have a regular income. And what happens when you live in that situation is that you become, um, somebody described it to me, you become a lab rat, um, which is a very you know, negative image, but you know, let's call it a lab hamster, which basically the lab hamster goes to a machine, pushes it, and a pallet is produced. And that hamster very quickly understands the relationship between pushing the lever and getting the pallet. And he might not like the lever and he might not like the fact that he has to push the lever, but he gets very quickly conditioned that if he does that, a pallet will be produced. Um, And meanwhile, the hamster has all these ideas of how the world could be better and and what what he could do. And he might have done an MBA where he's learned uh, the tricks of a trade and he's spoken to other people. And so one day the hamster breaks out from his cage with the pallets and the machine and he comes out in the wide world. And what you will do as a corporate hamster is you will look for um, a new lever to push, um, which might be, well, I learned that, you know, to run a business, I need to do A, B and C. I will do A, B and C. Therefore, a pallet will be produced. The shock to the system comes that actually nothing is produced because your idea might not be right. You might not have been pushing the right buttons. Nothing happens. There is no feedback on what you do. And what you realize is that as an entrepreneur, there is a significant period where you have to work and try things and do things without actually any feedback. No feedback in terms of salary, no feedback in terms of money, and no feedback in terms of people saying that's actually interesting or good because most people in that conception stage will look at you and say, uh, you know, sounds kind of interesting. They will politely say that's interesting, but actually not, not do very much. So you, you are in this world where you, you know, where you had the certainty at the end of the month, I will push the lever, a food pallet will be produced. And yes, life was a bit tough, but there will be food on the table at the end of the month to a world where that's for a long time, not the case. And you have to improvise, hustle and work through that. Uh, without any pallets being produced. And if you're lucky and if you're good and you do that long enough, slowly things will change and you grip in the market and, and you, you know you, you can instantiate your product and people will start to engage with you, will start to pay you money. 
but it's not it's a process of continuous change and understanding how you should do things and, and adjusting and from you know the hamster analogy is from pushing the lever and getting a pallet you now have to forage for your food and you sometimes have to forage in corners and places that you never uh, suspected existed or that you could never imagine that you would go and that's quite a big transformative thing because up until that time you did a good job you got a reward in some case in some shape or form in entrepreneurial life you you might be doing a good job for a long time and nothing might happen and then slowly you kind of grip into the market you you get traction you get your funding you get your first revenue and then things slowly change but the process the mentality and the emotional resilience that is required for that is quite something that's that's fundamentally different. And so I've gained uh, a a very much newfound respect for people who have been able to do that. And you know, and of course, respect myself because I have gone through this journey. But it is a fundamental change in mentality that is not on to be underestimated. It's not running a business is not running a recipe book and expecting the cake to come out perfect. Is doing everything right in the recipe book and the cake might come out wrong five times and only the sixth time with your last flour and your last eggs will something come out that somebody will pay money for it. So that's that's the experience, which is good and also you know quite disturbing. But if you do it right, uh, you come out on the end and it's it's a great great kick and you'll never look back. Christian, I have to genuinely say that in over 500 startup founder interviews, that is one of the wisest stories about the transition that I've ever heard it's and it's true in my transition it's almost like given me uh, a lot to think about in terms of the journey that I've been through and the analogy it just absolutely is perfect and uh, you've just framed for many of us uh, the uh, what we we go through and helped us understand that we're not alone um, so, Christian, finally, then, you know, how do people best get in touch with you, reach out, and also uh, get connected um, with the SDK and to start to install it in their apps? Okay, so the easiest way for us is I'm, I'm slightly old school. Um, so, email is still something I use quite a bit. So, info at terrigens.com is a way of getting uh, in touch. Uh, we are also on uh, LinkedIn and on Twitter. So any reach out via those channels uh, on Twitter, look for Terrigens or our handle Info Terrigens. And on LinkedIn, look for my name, Christian Rufert, or look for our company Terrigens. Um, all those channels, uh, you, you reach out to us, we will respond very, very quickly. Yeah, and just to spell that, that's uh, T-E-R-A-G-E-N-C-E. And uh, I'll, I'll have full show notes on uh, episode 510 of the App Guide podcast. So you could also go to theappguide.co and search for Christian Refert and Terrigence, and you'll see all the links to LinkedIn, Twitter, and to the email. Uh, well, I highly recommend people uh, actually do uh, implement your SDK. Uh, thanks for such an inspiring episode. and making a big change in the world and uh, all the best to the future we'd love to uh, see how you progress and uh, have you back on the show when um, you know after a, after a while to see how it's gone fantastic thank you very much paul been a pleasure so two quick announcements first is that i am recording this message at the end with my new apple airpods and they are terrific 
I love them. In fact, I've not been this excited about an Apple product since maybe the first iPhone. Uh, it's amazing how uh, just having these in, it feels like a direct feed into your mind. So listening to a podcast, nobody can see you're listening. I've got long hair over my ears, so uh, I can just quietly uh, listen to a podcast or listen to some great music. It's great in the gym uh, when I'm working out. I just leave the phone in the corner and walk around a radius of uh, over 20 meters and just listen to these things. Uh, getting rid of those wires just has transformed you know, my experience about uh, using the iPhone. And in fact, I'm looking at the iPhone less now, using Siri a lot more. So yes, I love these Apple AirPods. Fantastic. Well done, Apple. Thank you very much. And the second uh, message is that I was thinking, I have these uh, announcements at the start of the show and I know that uh, I've been getting some good five-star reviews from you. So I was thinking if you put a five-star review on, then why not just send me an, a little clip uh, with your name, your app, and uh, that you listen to the App Guide podcast. And I'll throw you in the, uh, the beginning, uh, the, the intro music. So, uh, yeah, I just need that as a, an MP3 or an AIFF file or a wave. And uh, I'll throw you in and uh, get you at the start of the show.